0: Would you all please stand and join me in reciting the Shema? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture this morning comes from the 11th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. Hear now the word of the Lord. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we uh, find ourselves this morning in the season of Advent, this is a season of preparing the way uh, for the coming of Christ, for preparing our hearts for God and the breaking in of God. And I began to reflect. This week in preparation for this morning of the different ways, the different traditions we have in our lives that prepare ourselves for certain things. And Christmas is in no way an exception to this. And I began to reflect on the different things that are expectations of mine, rhythms and traditions that make the holidays the holidays. And I kept coming back to an unexpected thing of eggnog. There is this reality that years and years ago I discovered the delicious treat of eggnog with no additives or anything like that, but I have narrowed down my search of eggnog to the local HEB brand and this is all I buy and I will store, when I lived at home I would buy a small Pint of it, it comes in little bottles at HEB, and store it in the refrigerator door so no one else would look there and no one else would find it. And I would have this delicious Christmas treat, and it kind of, for me, sets the stage of the holidays. And I would find that this was the only time of year you could have eggnog. And because there's so much unhealthy things in eggnog, that's probably good. I looked up the, uh, nutritional facts of eggnog for this morning. And one cup of eggnog has 20 grams of sugar and over 16% of my daily saturated fat. Um, My brothers joke about low fat, low sugar eggnog, which you all likely know is not eggnog. Um, But I also think about other things for this time of year. I, I think about cold weather. Uh, which we finally have this year. I, I think of Christmas parties with family friends of ours um, who we will only see once a year as their family and friends fly in from out of town. And, and we joke about having an annual checkup at these Christmas parties. My family and I attend the 11 p.m. Christmas Eve service, uh, which if you haven't been, is absolutely beautiful. Uh, the lights are low. The children are in bed. It's quiet. Uh, our own Carr Hornbuckle sing solos that are fantastic. Um, it's fun to have people like Carr singing right behind you, because uh, then when you belt it out, all you can hear is Carr's voice. It's it's just such a lift to your spirit. Um, after Christmas Eve service, you, you end the night at midnight. So as people leave, you, you wish them a Merry Christmas, and it is Christmas. We go home to my parents' house, and Santa is kind enough uh to stop by early and accommodate our preaching schedule so we're able to celebrate Christmas into the wee hours of the morning. We change into comfortable clothes. My mom makes breakfast. We open presents together. We celebrate. We say Merry Christmas and we go home and just completely crash and get to sleep in the next day. This is my idea of Christmas. It begins with eggnog. There's about a month's worth of buildup. And then... It, it, it crescendos at Christmas Day. And I have noticed over the years, if any part of that is out of place, it irks me and it bothers me. One year I was away at seminary and I failed to bring home my uh, copy of Christmas Vacation and I thought my brothers were going to lynch me. I mean, it's just when there is one small thing out of place uh, from our expectations, it's surprising how much we're rattled. As I reflected on the scriptures this morning, uh, I thought about this reality of our expectations that we put on certain things, that we put on ourselves, that we put on the holidays, these things that bring stress. It's not necessarily things that we need or have to go on, um, but we have this idea of how things should show up, and and they, they're not always so. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine does recovery ministry, and he he says, that resent that expectations are resentments in waiting um our our premarital counselor brought up that unarticulated expectations are preparations for disappointment this is a time of year uh, where we have much on our mind and great expectations about what is coming uh, and the scripture is nothing short of that we see an interesting perspective in our preparation for jesus this morning from John the Baptist himself, where he is coming back, uh, if you notice at the beginning of our scripture and asking this very important question to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Uh, like any faithful Jew, John was expecting the Messiah and was taught to anticipate the Messiah greatly and extensively. And now we see John the Baptist later in life in prison and asking this question. Are you the one? Are you the guy? Are you the person we're waiting for? Is this what it's been all about? And that's why I want to talk to us about this morning. Come back with me to the Jordan River. Um, John is baptizing in the Jordan River Preaching and teaching repentance, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is coming and he's inviting people uh, to be washed clean of their sins and to prepare themselves for God. And then Jesus comes along, as I like to think, on the other side of the river and from far away, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, like as if he is calling him out from like a 100 yards away and saying, look. And John has been prepared his whole life for this. Think of him leaping in his mother's womb. When he knows Jesus is near, He something stirs inside of him and he says, Behold... The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is a prophet and he goes before, as Jesus reminds us in this passage, quoting Malachi. He goes before and prepares a way for the coming of the Messiah. And he does this in the Jordan River and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we know the scene where Jesus comes into the river and there's this miniature debate where John is actually trying to debate with Jesus and saying, no, I couldn't possibly uh, baptize you. You need to baptize me. And no shocker, Jesus wins the debate. And then John is baptizing Jesus. And what happens? But the heavens open up. The spirit of God comes down. And God's own voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I take great delight. And where is John? But John is hands on with jesus the messiah and god himself has just identified god's own son this all happens in the jordan river and john doesn't have a front row seat he's literally the one doing the baptizing so what in the world are we doing in matthew chapter 11 where john is sending word to jesus saying are you the one what happened What's going on in this situation? And scholars debate this and we don't have a lot of information about it of where John is in this. He's he's in he's we know where he is physically he's in prison. We don't know what's really going on with him other than he's sending his disciples to ask Jesus. Are you the one? And it's not clear where John is in this, but it's very clear who Jesus is in this. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear to John. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. John knows exactly what this is. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah in multiple places, and it's facts and realities that come when the kingdom of God has come. That the scriptures have foretold that when the Messiah comes, this is the reality of how he shows up. Now, John knows these scriptures. So when he hears these things, he knows Jesus is saying to him, yes, I am the one. I am the one. So why is John confused? Well, many scholars think that John has been focusing on different parts of what's going on. You you can remember John talking about Jesus coming and using his winnowing fork and calling everyone to repentance in this reality of coming of the Messiah And we're not saying that John is emphasizing the wrong things, but isn't it true that in our expectations we can choose to prioritize certain things and focus on certain things and let other things fall away? If you'll think about different scriptures that you know or that you recite or that you like to quote, I noticed something that happened to me at seminary as I dove deep into studying the scriptures more and more. I would come across a passage from time to time with the scripture that I had quoted in my life. And I would look at that scripture in the context of its chapter and verse and find in some ways I didn't use it totally correct in my quotation. Or sometimes we'll read through the scriptures and God will say something like, I am coming to heal and comfort and to wipe away all your tears. And we'll say, great, I'm on board. And then he'll get to those passages where He say, and if you follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me and, You'll join me in my sufferings. And I think, you know, I don't really want to emphasize those scriptures as much. And we tend to set our expectations based on the things that we're comfortable with. And as we prepare for Jesus to come in this Advent season, I'm reminded of the reality that God never shows up fully in the ways we expect him to. One of the jokes we shared this week at pastors meeting was the line from Woody Allen where he says, Well, if anyone believes in God, he must agree that God is certainly an underachiever. There's this idea with our expectations that we start to see a certain God that we want to see. We start to see a God with no tears and no pain and no crying, which Scripture tells us God brings in heaven. But I don't know about you, but I want those realities here and now. I want an on-demand God who I can cry out to and ask for something and he shows up with it immediately. I want these results. I want them the way I want them. I want them when I want them. And it's usually now. And God doesn't always show up like that. Look at what we're preparing for on Christmas Day. Jesus is going to be born in a manger to a virgin woman, and he comes as a child, not as a powerful military king. And how does it end but him dying on the cross for all those, especially those who who came against him? That's not what we expect. That's not even what the disciples expect. Look at what the disciples say. Have you come to restore the kingdom? And they're thinking in the Davidic throne, in this military kingly power, and Jesus says, no, I'm not. And we want him to. We want him to come in and crush our enemies and destroy those who persecute us and knock us down. And these are our expectations of God. And he comes in a different way. And he said, no, I'm going to come and sacrifice myself out of love and grace and mercy and offer it to all, even my enemies and even your enemies. And we think, oh, my gosh, this these expectations we have of God are not always met and look even John the Baptist himself the one who is praised by Jesus in this very passage as one who is greater than all who have lived on the earth and he's asking are you the one friends that tells me that we all need this encouragement and this assurance of Jesus For us personally to learn, John was foretelling the coming of the king. And when he saw him, he said it. But there's still this reality where John needs to behold it for himself. We need to know. We need this interaction with God. We need this connection where we can say, Are you the guy? I need to know. Even though I've been proclaiming this all my life, John turns and says, Sends word to Jesus Are you the one? And how does Jesus respond? He praises John even more. Friends, we do not need to worry about these questions we, need to, we have when God's expectations, our expectations of God are not met in our lives. We just need to engage him. John shows us a reality of how to approach these also common times in our lives. Where God is showing up in different ways than we expect. And I want to highlight a few things that John does, in my opinion, so very well to deal with these missed expectations. First of all, he starts with relationship. He's connecting with God, with who he is. He goes straight to the source. Go back to me to the garden where Eve is being persuaded by the serpent. And the serpent's asking her questions. Is that really what God said? Notice that Eve makes a decision before going back to God himself. John the Baptist does not make this mistake. He sends word to Jesus himself to ask him, are you the one? He's not afraid or doubting about Jesus being disappointed with him or crushed that after all these proclamations, he needs reassurance. No, he embraces it and he praises him. So he starts with relationship. Second, he engages him in a question. Questions are wonderful things. God uses them all the time throughout scripture. As I like to say, God loves questions. He invented questions. A question is an invitation to dialogue. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to connection, which God is all about. And there's this reality where we. If we are asking questions, are coming in humility to admit that we don't have it all figured out. We don't know it all. If I come to God to ask him questions, I'm not assuming I have it all together and I'm okay with that, which tells me that I am able and open to connect with God to receive from him, which is so important because we're always in need of God's grace and love. So what are some questions that are great to ask God? I jotted down a few As John does, he asks, who are you? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He just asks God, who are you? And then the next question that naturally flows from that, asking God who we are. As God addresses who he is, we talk extensively here about God as our loving father and us as his beloved child. God adores us. God rejoices over us in singing. He showers us with his grace and love, and he welcomes us to follow him in connection in deep relationship with him. Asking God, who are you and who am I? And, and then with that, how do you feel about me? I find so many people in this world that think God is an angry, distant God who wants to judge us. And here, one of God's greatest prophets is, is asking him, are you the guy? Are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? How do you feel about me? What are you doing here? What are you all about? What's your mission? As David talks about how we follow God, we find out what his mission is in the world to reconcile all things to himself and join him on that mission. There's this reality that we can go to God and say, what are you about in this world? What are you doing here? And then I love this. Can I join you? Can I join in on your mission? We talk about partnering with God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We can just ask God, what does this look like for me to join you? And he'll tell us. There is this reality that one of the greatest gifts we have is to engage God in questions. With our wonderings, with our confusions, when our expectations are not met, we can bring them back to the Father. And this is a great sign of our faith and our trust in God that we're willing to trust him with this question. It's not a sign of a lack of faith or a weakness. It's a sign of trust that we're willing to come to God in these ways. Three, I would suggest that you should be willing to stick around for the answer. In my experience, our God is not necessarily an on-demand answer God. As one of my mentors talks about like a bubble gum machine where you twist the knob and the gum comes out. There is much more going on. In the ways of God's intentions in this world than just the answer I am seeking. So I would encourage you in this fourth thing to be patient. There's oftentimes a reality where God is not necessarily obsessed with the specific thing that I'm caught on or questioning him about or looking for. He's got a whole bigger plan in mind. And I am often amazed and intrigued by the ways that he will use my question that I continue to seek out and talk to different people about and search out to bless and connect me to so many more things that I would have if he just would have given me an answer. In this time, I encourage you to stay connected to God through prayer, through study, through worship, through Christian community, through service, all these things. And one of my favorite lines in this is check your mail. Whenever I am seeking and searching for something, I'm always trying to remember and be open to the different ways that God will speak to me. Many of you have heard the story where the man sits at home, focusing in on this one very thing, closes him off to all other solutions, and he's crying out to God, wondering where this will come. And all the while, the solution is sitting at the street inside his very own mailbox. He just didn't check his own mail. So as I like to say, As we seek God, be open to the ways he'll speak to us and check those places. Check your mail. There's a reality that comes with this scripture where one of the greatest prophets of all time comes to God to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And Jesus speaks to the things he is doing in the world. It is crucially important in this time of year that we feel able to bring these cares and concerns these unmet expectations, these questions to God himself, to have him remind us who he is, but also to remember and hear how he shows up in the world so that when we are out there, we are not only looking for it, but we are noticing it, because if we don't, it can pass us by. So I'll leave you with this reminder. Jesus replies to John, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. The Messiah has come to us. Amen.